Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in less than a year. I'm Mark Langley, and I am just so excited that you have joined me in this inaugural episode of this podcast series. We're going to read the Catechism of the Council of Trent this year, and uh, that's a wonderful enterprise for 2023. We are starting a little bit after the beginning of the year, so that means we have to finish this job in less than a year, and that's what we intend to do. Today, I want to accomplish three things. First, I'm going to make some general remarks, a few general remarks about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Second, I'll talk about our procedure. And third, we will talk about the Catechism of the Council Trent in the context in which it arose. We'll just make a few points about the way it came about from the Council of Trent itself, uh, what that council was about, and why the Catechism was produced from it. So let's just launch right into this discussion. First, just a few remarks. I think it's important to look at the Catechism of the Council of Trent as a one of those fundamental works that every Catholic should have or possess. Every Catholic should have this Catechism on his bookshelf right next to the Bible, right next to the Summa Theologica, right next to the New Catechism, the the Catechism of the Catholic Church published in 1992, both of these catechisms should be on the shelf. Um, the Catechism of the Council of Trent is a work that is now 457 years old, so it has survived the test of time, and every work that has done that has sort of a special value because it has demonstrated its value just, just in, in surviving. And uh, there are other obvious reasons why it survived, but it's, it's, a, it's an important work. And again, I think it's, it should be considered as one of the great books of the Western world. The Catechism of the Council of Trent, in comparison to the New Catechism, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, should be, they should be side by side. When Pope John Paul II, when St. John Paul II, promulgated the New Catechism in 1992, it was not promulgated as a replacement of the older catechism. Uh, the New Catechism should be thought of as a, another rich text that supplements the articulation of the church's teaching um, about the faith. But the, New, the Catechism of the Catholic Church obviously addresses the modern ear in a way that the Catechism of the Council of Trent was not desi designed to do. The, the, not that the Catechism of the Council of Trent does not speak forcefully to the modern ear, but certain issues were not prevalent in the 16th century that are prevalent in the 20th and 21st century that perhaps made the Catechism of the Catholic Church a timely book. But just to repeat that, we shouldn't think of the Catechism of the Catholic Church as a replacement, uh, but rather as a, as a supplement. So those are a few remarks about the, about the Catechism of the Council of Trent. And um, now just a few remarks about our procedure this year. We're going to have a multitude of podcasts in these 
in this uh, series, lasting the entire year. And our intention is to read the entire Catechism of the Council of Trent, um, but not word for word. We will read it um, in, in, in great part, but we will also read it according to the 282 sections that it has been uh, divided by the editors. Um, well, actually, the Catechism of the Council of Trent is divided, first of all, into four main sections. The first section has to do with the Articles of Faith and the Creed. The second section has to do with the Sacraments. And the third section has to do with the Commandments. And the fourth section has to do with prayer. But the text itself has been marvelously divided into 282 chapter headings. And I have found in my experience that each one of those chapter headings constitutes a wonderful discussion all by itself. And so I will be abiding by the editorial um, uh, sectioning of this book. Incidentally, the text that I'm using was uh, published by Roman Catholic Books in Fort Collins, Colorado. And the, it's the text that was translated into English with notes by Father John A. McHugh and Father Charles J. Callan. These are both uh, Dominican priests that undertook the translation of the Catechism of the Council of Trent in the early part of the 20th century. So they did a wonderful job. Uh, the book is annotated with great footnotes that show the chapter and verse in sacred scripture or the citation from St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine. Very helpful footnotes. Also, a wonderful introduction that has a full history of the origin of the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Very interesting. So this that's the text I'm using. It can also be found at Tan Books, and also it can be found online. Um, so it's, it's really easy to get a hold of this catechism. Uh, mine is a nice hardbound edition, though, that I recommend. Uh, and so I recommend that you get a nice, beautiful hardbound edition and have it there in a place of honor on your bookshelf. So now that we've made some general remarks and we've talked about our procedure, I want to tell you a little bit about the history and development of the Catechism of the Council of Trent. And I've essentially found this history in the introduction of the book of this book written by um, translated by John, Father John McHugh and Father Charles Callan, um, as well as other uh, sources, um, the encyclopedia. But I'm not a church historian, so I can't go into great detail. I, I actually am not um, I don't have a detailed knowledge about the Protestant rebellion in the 16th century and all of the causes that led up to that. I have a general um, knowledge of it, but um, so I'm not going to I'm not going to try to uh, uh, give you that whole thing. Uh, but suffice it to say that the Catechism of the Council of Trent um, originated from this, the Council of Trent, which was held between 1545 and 1563. This was the church's 19th ecumenical council, and it was initiated under Pope Paul III and extended through the subsequent reign of the four pontiffs that followed. The council concluded under the pontificate of Pope Pius IV, and um, it was shortly thereafter that Pope Pius V 
um, one of the first things he did in his pontificate was to publish this, this um, catechism that arose as a fruit of the council. Um, obviously, the ostensible cause of the council itself was to address the crisis of faith in Europe caused by the so-called Reformation, or probably better, we should call it the Protestant Rebellion. And um, um, among the reforms enacted by the council was a continued clarification of church doctrine concerning the sacraments, the mass, holy orders, matrimony, purgatory, indulgences, and the veneration of saints, images, and relics. These are all things that the, the council addressed, and um, great reforms occurred in this council. Among other things, the Council of Trent supplied the Catholic Church's official reply to the Protestant revolt and the objections of the likes of uh, our friend Martin Luther. Um, so the, the, not that he was by any means the central reason for the council, but uh, he sort of infamously is associated with the Protestant rebellion. And so this council was the, constituted the official Catholic reply to that rebellion. Uh, in addition to the reforms, and clarification of doctrine brought about by the council, the Catholic world is, of course, indebted to it for other fruits that were brought about shortly after the council, such as the revisions in the Roman breviary and the Missal, and, of course, the work around which we are focused right now, the great catechism of the Council of Trent. Uh, the, the, council, the catechism was published three years after the council in 1566. So the text itself was almost 20 years in production. Uh, many uh, theologians involved. Uh, the details concerning the multitude of theologians, bishops, cardinals, Latinists um, involved in the production of the catechism, um, that merits an entire study by itself. So we're not going to um, try to uh, do that any, with any more detail. Uh, suffice it to say that um, after the Catechism was officially proposed in 1546. Um, again, it was, it was about 20 years later, um, in 1564, that St. Charles Borromeo um, ensured that it was revised to, be, to have absolute conformity in, the sty in its style. Uh, just a few other notes. In 1566, Pope Pius V made it among the first acts of one of the first of his official acts to have this new catechism scrutinized. I think that was in January of 1566, right after he was um, crowned as the pontiff. He, it, it was very dear to him that this, this um, product of the council, this fruit, should be revised. And by the end of that year, he had the catechism, this new catechism, published under the title the Latin title, Catechismus ex Decreto Concilii ad Parrocos, uh, Pius V, Pontifex Maximus, Iusu Editus, which just means the, the, uh, it's a catechism from the decree of the council for priests. So this catechism was specifically designed for parish priests to use as a tool to teach the faithful. Um, the, and so that's an important point, uh, that this catechism was directed 
directly, expressly for priests by which they might instruct the faithful. Um, the, it, it, the fact that it was issued at the expressed command of an ecumenical council um, gives it some prominence. Um, adding to the respect that we should have for this Catechism of the Council of Trent was the unqualified praise of many sovereign pontiffs like Pius IV and Pius V, who, under which it was um, uh, written and, and published. But um, other, other popes, interestingly, have said wonderful things about this catechism, like Gregory III, in a papal bull, said that this catechism contains a clear explanation of all that is necessary for salvation, and that it should be the norm of teaching for Catholic pastors. So that's strong praise from Gregory III. Pope Leo XIII, more recently, in 1899, said this. He said this in an encyclical letter. He recommended two books, two books to be possessed and constantly studied by seminarians. The Summa of St. Thomas Aquinas and, quote, that golden book, the Catechismus ad parochos, the, that's, the, the, that's the Catechism of the Council of Trent. So Leo Thirteenth is saying seminarians should have two books, um, especially that they should study the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas and this Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's high praise. Um, Leo Thirteenth praised the Catechism for its richness and exactness, its elegance of style, and for it being a summary of all theology. So, so this book is a compendium of Catholic theology. Here's an interesting quote from St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, the great preacher and, um, of, uh, and wonderful apostle. I call him the apostle of liberal education, but he was a, a wonderful preacher. He says, and this is a quote, he says, The Catechism of the Council of Trent was drawn for the express purpose of providing preachers with subjects for their sermons. I rarely preach a sermon, but I go to this beautiful and complete catechism to get both my matter and my doctrine, unquote. So that's St. John Henry Cardinal Newman um, saying that he would never, never preach a sermon or hardly ever preach a sermon without first consulting this catechism of the Council of Trent. Um, there's an interesting cardinal, his name is Cardinal Valerius, going back to the time, going back to, uh, the, he was a friend of St. Charles Borromeo. He praised this catechism saying, quote, this work contains all that is needful for the instruction of the faithful. Listen to that. It contains all that is needful for the instruction of the faithful. And it is written with such order, clearness, and majesty that through it we seem to hear Holy Mother the Church itself taught by the Holy Ghost speaking to us. So that's high praise from a friend of a cardinal who's a friend of St. Charles Borromeo. Finally, I just want to read something from the introduction by these two wonderful priests, Father Callan and Father... John McHugh, on the last page of their introduction, they themselves, after expressing all the testimony of these saints and uh, 
bishops, cardinals, and um, popes, they themselves say this, which I think is, is rather beautiful. They say, they say, finally, it can be said without fear of exaggeration that there is no single volume work which so combines solidity of doctrine and practical usefulness with unction of treatment as does this truly marvelous catechism. From beginning to end, it not only reflects the light of faith, but it also radiates to an unwanted degree the warmth of devotion and piety. In its exposition of the creed and the sacraments while dealing with the profoundest mysteries, it is full of thoughts and reflections, the most fervent and inspiring. The part, of the, the part on the Decalogue, which might well be called a treatise on ascetical theology, teaches us in words burning with zeal both what we are to avoid and what we are to do to keep the commandments of God. And they conclude, The Roman Catechism is therefore a handbook of dogmatic and moral theology, a confessor's guide, a book of exposition for the preacher, and a choice directory of the spiritual life for pastor and flock alike. So those are wonderful words from Father John McHugh and Father Charles Callan um, that they put at the end of their introduction. But they only they only put they only say those things after having uh, cited a multitude of laudatory expressions and and um, great praise from um, popes and cardinals and saints. So I think they're. I think that their praise is not uh, is not an exaggeration. So, in conclusion, this is our inaugural podcast, and I think that what we're doing together is truly a noble endeavor and a worthwhile thing to do in this new year. I myself am excited for my own personal advance in, in knowledge of the faith. And I hope you are too as we proceed to do this together. Thanks so much. God bless you. And uh, we look to talking with you again. We're very much forward to it.